Having survived the dark ages of Whedonless television, a new golden age is approaching as master storyteller Joss Whedon teams up with HBO, a network that won't air his show out of order and then cancel it after one season, for his eagerly anticipated return to television with a new Victorian-era sci-fi epic. The Nevers. I'm Tig. And I'm Heather. Welcome to Halloween Con 2020 and to the Nevers podcast panel. The Nevers is a new HBO show by Josh, Joss Whedon that we are extremely, ex extremely excited for. And once we share the premise, the cast and the creative team, we hope you will be too. And I'm Gina. We are a group of Whedon fans, of course, who host a biweekly podcast aptly named The Nevers Podcast. We try to make it easy. We were committed to discussing and dissecting Joss's upcoming HBO series, and we invite you to listen in as we review and analyze every single episode, speculate and discuss any news as it pertains to the show. I'm Gina. Like I said a little earlier, uh, I live in Los Angeles, California. Hopefully there will be a Nevers premiere and the world isn't ending anymore. So I'll <laughs> attend. <laughs> And yeah, I've, I'm obviously obsessed with all of Joss Whedon's works. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is my favorite, and I was actually introduced to it in college. So I was not a young person when I saw it, and it changed my life. I honestly wouldn't be in LA wanting to be a writer if I hadn't seen it. Uh, I'm, I'm Tyke. I'm the English one from... <laughs> sunny-ish London town. Uh, my history with Joss's work is fairly similar to everyone else's. I saw Buffy one night on television and was like, wow, this is cool. I thought it kept watching and it just kept getting better and better. I then found out he had all, all these amazing other shows, so I watched them too and not not stopped watching since. Um, I'm Heather. I'm from Denver, Colorado, and um, I found Joss. I actually saw the original movie in theaters, but I didn't make the connection. And I came into the Whedonverse through Firefly and then decided to watch Buffy. So there you have it. <laughs> um, I'm sure many of you want to know what The Nevers is about. Um, the Nevers follows in the footsteps of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with a fantastical story and powerful female, char female characters. The series is an epic sci-fi drama with a twist that reimagines the superhero genre for the 1800s as a gang of Victorian women known as the Touched, who find themselves with unusual abilities, ruthless enemies pursuing them at every turn, and they must fight to stay one step ahead while, att while attempting to carry out a mission that might very well change the world forever. So why are we excited for the Nevers? Um, I myself, I mean, we're just going to push Joss out of the way because obviously if we said it, that would be all of our answers because it's a new series by Joss. Yeah. I am excited for it to be a period piece. I'm super excited mm -hmm. about that. I love uh, period drama, especially um, the Victorian and Tudor areas. So uh, that eras, that's, that's my big thing. That's why I'm really psyched about it. Gina? Oh my God. Um, okay. 
luckily, since Buffy has aired, there's been a lot of more feminist TV shows and characters. But I feel like we need one for 2020 and the future. And I feel like The Nevers is going to be that TV show that, you know, Whedon fans have been waiting for that, like, oh, what feminist shows are out there? Oh, The Nevers. Like, that's going to be the answer on everyone's lips, hopefully. So that's what I'm excited for. How about you, Ty? Uh, well, for me, I mean, it's Victorian era and it's sci-fi. So to me, that screams steampunk. And as a huge fan of steampunk and having lost my current edge with Into the Badlands, I need more. So I'm <laughs> fingers crossed that we're going to be getting some good steampunk and some great action, all the hallmarks of Joss. So who's involved behind the cameras? Obviously, Joss Whedon, creator of Buffy, creator of Angel, creator of Firefly, creator of Dr. Horrible, creator of Dollhouse, uh, director <laughs> of the Avengers, director of the Avengers part two and helping to construct the Marvel universe. What more can we say? Um, along the ride with him is some of his compadres for many, many, um, different properties. Jane Espenson, who, if you're any sort of fan of Buffy or the Joss first know her, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, True Calling, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Dollhouse, and Jessica Jones. And, um, Doug Petrie, who besides Buffy, um, was involved with Pushing Daisies, American Horror Story, and Daredevil. Love Daredevil. Mm -hmm. We also have Bernadette Caulfields, who's going to be EP, who worked on Game of Thrones, Big Love, and The X-File. It's one of the greatest shows of all time. And Duncan McGock, who's on Producer. His credits go for Game of Thrones, The Born, Born Ultimatum, and Captain America. And we also have Greg Spence. He's a producer. His credits are Game of Thrones and John Adams, so he's worked with HBO. Famous McGarvey, oh, one of the <laughs> cinematographers. His credits is The Hours, Atonement, The Avengers. And another cinematographer is Ben Smith. Credits include The Hollow Crown, Downton Abbey, and Goodbye Christopher Robin, which is so good. And another cinematographer is Kate Reed. Yay for female cinematographers. Yes. Credits include Call the Midwife, Marcella, and Hannah. We also have Michelle Clapton, who is esteemed uh, costume designer, also Game of Thrones. Do you see a pattern here? Uh, <laughs> the Crown and uh, the Kingsman. Christine Blundell, an Oscar-winning makeup and hair artist, Finding Neverland, Sherlock Holmes, and Wonder Woman. And of course, the whole show is produced by HBO and Joss's mutant enemy, Gerarg. <laughs> so of course that's the uh behind the scenes talent what about the in front of the screen talent Ooh, the cast the cast the, the all-important cast these are the faces we will be hopefully falling in love with over the next 15 to 20 years we have laura donnelly who most people will know from outlander she's playing amalia true the most reckless impulsive and emotionally damaged hero of her time a menace to stuffy victorian society she would die for the cause and kill for a drink Backing her up is the untouchable Olivia Williams, one of the greatest <laughs> actresses ever generation, who you'll know from Count Barts and, of course, from Dollhouse. She's playing Lavinia Bidlow, a wealthy spinster and champion of the touched. Lavinia funds the orphanage where Amalia and many of the touched live through her vast family fortune. She is stern and old fashioned, but as strong willed and clever as anyone she confronts. Um, dreamy James Norton, uh, from Grant Chester. Um, he was also in Little Women, which I really loved him in that. He plays Hugo Swan, 
Uh, pansexual uh, posh boy whose charm uh, has about five years left on its lease. He runs a secret club and a side trade in blackmail. He's devoted to fulfilling everyone's worst impression of him and fascinated by the touch. Tom Riley, uh, Dark Heart, and also Lizzie Kaplan's hot husband. Um, Augustus Augie Bidlow, sweet, disarming nerd and Lavinia's younger brother. He's a keen ornithologist. He finds the touched unnerving, but is drawn to him by his, them, his increasing um, infatuation with Miss Penance Adair, who you'll hear about soon, and by the schemes of his nefarious best friend, Hugo. Love triangle. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Penance Adair, uh, Anne Skelly, she's been in Vikings, Death and Nightingales. She plays Penance Adair, Amalia's dearest friend, a devout yet heretically progressive Irish girl. She has genius for invention. She is delighted by her power, but she's firm in her moral sense and will be guided by what's right over what's expedient every time. Awesome. Um, next, we have Ben Kaplan. He's been in the Children Act. He plays Detective Frank Mundy. Big, gruff, and deeply moral, Detective Mundy trusts no one. His reputation for sudden violence and excessive drink is not unwarranted. Frank finds himself caught between the powerful, who ignore the laws of the land, and newly empowered, who ignore the laws of physics. Next up, we have Pip Torrens, who you'll remember from The Crown, playing Lord Masson, staunch, unflappable, and merciless in his defense of the British Empire. This former general, now peer, may be the only man who sees clearly what havoc these few strange people can wreak upon the established order, which he will protect one way or another. We also have Zachary Momo from Seven Seconds playing Dr. Horatio Cousins, one of the few successful West Indian physicians in London. Married with a young son, Horatio's fortunes took a dark turn when he met Amalia and discovered his own ability. Now he works with her and the beggar king. Those who don't care who he is or those who don't care who is or isn't different. And next we have Kiran Sonia Sawar. She's been in Pure and Brexit, The Uncivil War. She plays Harriet Carr, a young Scottish Sikh. Is that how you pronounce it? Sikh. Sikh. A young Scottish Sikh. Harriet lives with the orphans, but it, but is accepted by both her family and her betrothed. Optimistic without being naive, Harriet is determined to live her life as she planned, despite its increasing weirdness. Next is Amy Manson. She's been in Torchwood. She plays Milady, committed by her husband and genuinely unstable. She's been warped by a power she can't understand and tortured by doctors intent on finding its source. She now lives underground, runs a gang, and is on an infamous murder spree. Awesome. And next we have none other than Nick Frost. He's been with in Fighting With My Family and Shaun of the Dead and so many others. So he many. Plays, <laughs> he plays Declan Oren, a.k.a. the Beggar King. Charismatic and brutal, Declan runs or has a piece of most of the low-level criminal activity in the city. He's perfectly happy to help Amalia and her cause and equally happy to sell them out. Awesome. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm so ready for his right. character, man. I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> right. Uh, Rochelle Neal, uh, Death in Paradise, uh, is one of her credits. Uh, plays Anna Carby, a.k.a. Bonfire, one of the few we know, like, definitively what their power is. A career criminal who landed the ability to control fire and is happy to hire it out. Came up rough, stayed that way, but she's neither impulsive or cruel, just looking out for herself. 
Eleanor Tomlinson, who everyone really must know from Poldark. Um, Mary Brighton, gentle but surprisingly resilient. Mary pursued the dream of singing on stage. A disappointing career and a broken engagement haven't uh, diminished her spirit. She's going to be great, but she's going to be very surprised how. And okay, so Dennis O'Hare, like what a coup to get this guy. He is from yeah. This Is Us, American Horror Story, Brothers and Sisters, True Blood, True Blood, just a ton of other things. Um, Dr. Edmund Haig, a gifted American surgeon. He uses his skills in the coldest, most brutal ways possible, but it's all in the name of progress. <laughs> that sounds really scary. Yeah. I'm getting real Frankenstein vibes from him. It's not going to be good. Uh, Elizabeth Barrington uh, from In Bruges and Naked. Uh, she plays Lucy Best. Uh, dirt poor, adaptive, streetwise. There's nothing delicate about Lucy. Though she's giving up thieving to live with the orphans, her quick wit and high spirits mask the pain of a tragic past. Tragic past. Sounds like a perfect Wheaton character, quick wit and tragic past. <laughs> okay, we have Ella Smith, who you'll remember from Ray and Liz and Kill Your Friends, who's playing Desiree Blodgett, a sex worker and increasingly a popular one. Her power makes men tell her everything on their minds, and they come away relieved in more than one sense. Unfortunately, what she's heard may get her killed. And Viola Pretajon, who was in Counterparts and The Witcher, She's playing Myrtle Haplish, a middle-aged girl rescued from a family who cannot understand her, literally, as she can no longer speak English or anything resembling speech. She's thrilled to be living at the orphanage where she's everyone's favourite weird little mascot and is clearly speaking Latin, calling it now. <laughs> I can't wait to see if that's uh, true. Uh, <laughs> so next we have... Anna Devlin. She has been in All the Money in the World and Hannah. Already another cast member that was in Hannah. She is going to play Primrose Chataway. A 16-year-old Primrose, all she wants is to be a proper ordinary girl and not take up too much space, which at 10 feet tall is hard. Most everything is either dreamy, unfair, or too embarrassing to live through. Sounds very relatable. Uh, <laughs> <and> next, <laughs> and last but not least, we have Martin Ford. He's from the Intergalactic Adventures of Max Cloud and the Marine Close Quarters. He's going to play Nicholas Purple, a.k.a. Odium, the quintessential henchman. He looks as unpleasant as he smells, a side effect of his rather surprising turn. Hmm. We'll do any kind of work for anybody's money. All right. Um, so we have some time to discuss stuff. So Woo. let's... Let's talk about, let's, um, let me kind of lead a discussion and let's talk about the cast first. From yes. both of you, who are your favorite characters? Who are you looking most forward to? Ooh, oh. uh, should I start? Yeah, go ahead, Ty. Uh, I think obviously because I'm such a fan of the actor, Nick Frost as the Beggar King is one I'm definitely wanting to pay attention to. I mean, I've, I've loved him in Spaced and the Cornetto trilogy, obviously, but I recently watched Into the Badlands, giving it its second name drop for the day. And yeah. he was amazing as a more kind of morally gray character. So I'm very excited to see what he can do now that he's playing like a, a, a charismatic and brutal crime boss. I'm expecting him to be kind of sort of, if you imagine the character that Badger thinks he is, that's who Declan Oren is actually going to be. He's going to be going to, 
brutal but funny so you kind of you're never really sure if he's going to hug you or stab you and that's always fun <laughs> and then uh pip torrens as lord masson i've been watching preacher at the moment and uh, pip torrens is in that and he's just brilliant so i mean i really can't wait to see what an actor who's you know that brilliant at playing kind of unbalanced characters can do when he's given a script by joss whedon sure it's going to be yeah. good gina who are you looking forward to um, great choices, Tyke. Um, I sound like a broken record if you've heard our podcast before, <laughs> but um, I'm always going to say Mary Brighton, who is played by Eleanor Tomlinson. Um, okay, so the fact that she pursued her dream of singing on stage and that she had a d disappointing career, um, <laughs> I could personally relate. Um, I I'm still doing music, but, you know, music and singing is a lot harder than people probably think. And I feel like I'm just going to relate to her and the fact that in her character bio, it says she's going to be great. She's going to be very surprised how I think that's actually really inspirational, like just because a dream, another dream happens or something else happens that you weren't expecting doesn't mean it's a bad thing. So I'm sure. really excited for her arc personally. And then I have to mention, oh, and this is so stereotypical of me, but I have to mention James Norton as Hugo Swan. The fact that he's a pansexual posh boy. I've been waiting my entire life for a character like this. And honestly, there aren't enough pansexual characters um, being sort of pansexual myself. I just think it's very um, not talked about, not shown. And the fact that he's pansexual in the Victorian era, that's very exciting. And again, I feel like hopefully there'll be also a love triangle with his character. Yeah, and, and what fascinates me about Norton is this is, compared to a lot of his other roles, he's very much the straight guy. He's very much the moral center. So it's going to be interesting to see him go in an opposite direction. Um, mm. And to talk about this kind of sexuality in that era is going to be fascinating yeah. because it is verboten, like no yeah. can do. Um, I would really be remiss if I didn't call out Olivia Williams because I love Olivia Williams so much. She was so amazing in Dollhouse. Um, and I just started watching Counterpart, which is on Amazon Prime, and it totally didn't expect the way this show is going. And she's in it. She showed up in the last few minutes of the first episode. And I was like, yeah. So it's a really great show. If anybody wants to, to watch it while you're waiting for the nevers, there's a couple of the cast members appear in it. So, um, and the other one, I'm, I, I'm really excited to see Martin Ford because he's just so enormous and, <laughs> And he's like, if you follow his Instagram, he's a super nice guy, right? A family man, you know, that kind of thing. He talks about his workout routine, but he's, he's this massive bodybuilder and supposedly they're making him even more massive. And I it just sounds like he's going to be completely frightening. And I, I just can't wait to see what, what they've got him doing. Um, and finally, Ella Smith, because I think I'll identify with Ella Smith because she just sounds like the strong girl that puts on the act because really under all of it, it's she's got stuff to lose and she's vulnerable. And so, yeah. <clears throat> so um, let's talk about behind the scenes. Like I know Gina, you love Seamus McGarvey. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes, please. Um, <laughs> so where I, in Los Angeles, I'm not going to get too much details, 
I might have met someone that knew that knows him very well. <laughs> and when I met this person, I was like geeking out and they might have shown me some really cool stuff of work that he's done, like behind the scenes <laughs> stuff. And I was so happy. And uh, this person said that he was so incredibly nice, obviously beyond talented. Um, but yeah, I mean, his work speaks for himself. And even in the Avengers, like the cinematography, I mean, it's beyond gorgeous. I, I know obviously Joss like came up with a lot of the shots, but the way he frames things, like when the focus focuses on an object and then it like pulls away, like right. all this stuff is beautiful. The way the camera moves, it's just, he's, he's honestly one of the greats and I'm so glad obviously him and Joss work together so well. So I'm really glad that they're working together again. And Seamus does a lot of period pieces as well as modern stuff, but he does a lot of period pieces. So it's going to be cool to see him and Joss work together again, but instead of like a modern superhero film, it's a period piece. So I'm excited to see both of them tackle that together. Anybody else, Gina? Oh my God. Um, I mean, obviously the writers, I mean, that goes right without saying, um, I feel like the costume and makeup, that team sounds incredible. Um, I'm I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Um, so the fact that Christine Blundell did the Sherlock Holmes films, um, that's obviously perfect. I I love the Victorian era. I love the style. I love the makeup and the hair. And I'm also writing something in the Sherlockian world. Um, so it's just going to be, I hope to see maybe some new things in the Victorian world that we haven't seen on TV when it comes to makeup and hair and costume. Not that we need it, but I think... I think this show seems and sounds creative enough where we can have that something we've never seen. What about you, Ty? Who are you? Who's behind the scenes? Are you looking forward to? Uh, it's not, it's not really a, a single person that I'm interested in. What I really like is that they seem to have basically taken the cream of the crop from game of Thrones. Like all the parts about game of Thrones that were repeatedly praised and held up as being the best as currently on television Absolutely. they've taken all of those people and just moved them straight over to this show so not only does it mean we know we've got a, a very skilled proven crew but because they've just come off working together for like seven eight years we know they're going to work incredibly well as a team so then it's often a case that when you get the first like the first season it takes a while for the show to really kind of find its look but with this, it's a team that already can work together. They already know how to bring the best out in each other and how to balance out each other's work. So from the very, from the very first second of the first episode, it's going to be like they're in a 10th season already because they've got those years of working together to really create a firm bedrock that's going to allow the Nevers to really hit the ground running and just be the best it can possibly be from season one, episode one and just like firing all cylinders straight out of the gates. And it's the show's really going to need that in this era of kind of people tuning in for 30 seconds and then cancelling. <laughs> I um I would have to say I'm most excited, except for Joss, obviously, um, is uh, Doug Petrie. 
um, because his Buffy episode spoke to me the most. Like Jane's great, and Jane had some killer episodes. But between Doug doing uh, Buffy pushing daisies, uh, Daredevil especially, just he just knows how to put that knife in me and just go whip. <laughs> twist. So I'm really excited about him. Uh, and I'm really excited about Michelle Clapton. Like the costuming, I'm a costuming nerd. Hopefully we'll get to do a costuming episode before the show rolls. Um, but I, she's from Game of Thrones. Um, she kind of took the same angle on the costumes that the, the Lord of the Rings crew did at a workshop that said, we're going to make your clothes fine and authentic as they can be for whatever we're representing, whether people on camera can see it or not. So you'll know you're wearing it, right? You're wearing the help you build your character by wearing the finest things. So I'm super excited um, about that. So um, Tyke, I know you have some theories, some really so strange theories. theories. Do you want to, do you want to share? I, I, always, I, I never stop talking about them. My number one theory is that uh, I, I strongly believe that Amalia's power isn't actually going to be a power. This whole show is based around the idea that these new people, the touched, have arrived and they have these powers that shouldn't be. I have a distinct suspicion that Amalia isn't going to kind of present as having a power straight away. And it's going to be very kind of what's her deal. And then the kind of the inciting incident for season one is going to be we find out that her power is that she increases the strength of other people's powers. And so that, that allows her to be a pivotal figure without being kind of too strong, without overshadowing the other members. And instantly within one second, that makes her the most wanted person in London. Oh yeah. Suddenly all those people <laughs> like, um, you know, Anna Carby, who's burning people for money, uh, Malady, who's doing crazy things with, you know, on a murder spree. Suddenly, all of them up their game ten times just by having her near, by having Amalia kind of standing within six feet of them. Suddenly, she can, you know, Anakabi can set fire to a whole room instead of just a person. Mm. And people are going to, especially when you add that to uh, Desiree Blodgett, who can make people tell the truth. So you suddenly you get you amplify her power by ten. Suddenly, all of Parliament's can't lie, and that's all they do. So that's going to be quite important. <laughs> Bring her over here. <laughs> exactly. I also, um, I recently had a theory that I think uh, Desiree Blodgett is going to work at Hugo Swan's club because having a guy who specializes right. in blackmail and then a woman who specializes yeah. in getting the truth out of people, that's, that's clearly going to be a connection there. That's, that's my new favorite theory. Yeah, we talked yeah. about that last episode and I was really like, I was like, I didn't even think about that. So it just, um, you also <laughs> have a theory about Myrtle Hapslish and her speaking in tongues. So yes. <laughs> I am um, the idea kind of what we've been pitched is that she's just speaking this kind of strange gobbledygook. We had, we floated a theory a while back in one of our episodes that actually she's speaking Latin or possibly Aramaic, or it's not that she's speaking gobbledygook. She's just speaking a language that, that the people around her can't understand. This was actually backed up. I don't know if she was meant to post it, but on her, I believe, Instagram, the actress in question posted a question posted a picture talking about how much she loves her new latin teacher <laughs> i'm not saying i'm right but i'm saying the evidence supports interesting. it interesting <laughs> gina what do you think do you have any theories or insights or something you want to discuss yeah so um i hope this happens it might not happen but 
I'm a sucker for those characters that um, start off a show on one side and then on the other, then by the time the show ends, they're like on the other side or they're kind of in the middle. So an example in the Whedon verse is like Spike, right? He starts off as a villain, then eventually he gets, you know, on the good guy's side for a while and it's complicated. Um, so I hope Dennis O'Hare, Dr. Edmund Haig's character, the gifted American surgeon, I hope he is kind of that role. Like, I would love to see him be a little bit villainous in the first season or honestly also help the good guys. But then maybe by the end, he's like that unwilling uh, person that helps the good guys. I really want to see that just because I love those kind of characters. And I feel like maybe as a surgeon, he could be in both sides. So we'll see. Well, we all know Joss has never seen a redemption arc he didn't like. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Indeed. Um, I'm looking forward to the way Joss tackles um, social um, stuff, to uh, social mores, um, taboo subjects. Um, you know, his favorite things, as we just discussed, are redemption, um, death, love, loyalty, uh, but he also goes into a fair bit, bit of feminism, um, gender politics. And I'm hoping also because um, Victorian England is the perfect frame for it to talk about uh, classism and fascism and uh, almost corporatism in the frame of the Industrial Revolution, that kind of thing, and how it oppresses uh, and separates classes really severely because this was also... Um, at least in America, the the Gilded Age, right? When all these there were all these super super wealthy billionaires that built these massive mansions, and and you know this is where the labor movement came from, you know, and child labor laws and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm hoping that he'll he'll put a kind of spotlight on that as well, kind of the Dickensian, if you will, sort of um, uh, facets of that society. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot to dig into there, so that would that would be a really right, interesting right. angle to explore. I'm not asking for much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gina, Gina, who are you dressed as today? I am dressed as Kylo Ren. Usually, I have black hair when I'm dressed as Kylo Ren. However, it's really hard to get out of your hair, <laughs> and I just dyed my hair. So I didn't want to do that. So pretend maybe um, Kylo decided to dye his hair pink for a hot second. It was coming out day yesterday. It's, you exactly, know, exactly. Hey. He could come out. Um, <laughs> I also want to just light up my lightsaber for a second. <laughs> do you have the helmet? No. Oh. Because I'm, I'm Kylo from The Last Jedi. And in The Last got Jedi, it. his helmet is busted up. Exactly. Fair enough. <laughs> um, in case no one noticed me being stupid during my intro, I'm the Cheshire Cat. Yeah. I have a Cheshire Cat Kirigimi. So uh, it's not, I'm a big Alice in Wonderland fan. I know that's kind of basic, but hey. <laughs> so, so Tyg, who are you dressed as? Can't you tell? I thought yeah. it was pretty obvious. No. <laughs> I'm that I'm that one douchebag that turns up to the Halloween party, isn't wearing a costume, and then spends the whole evening coming up with these ridiculous explanations as to why he actually is in costume while he's actually just wearing his normal clothes. You do at least have your Nevers t shirt on though, yeah. right? I do. You can't see it because of this my mic, but yeah, it's there. <laughs> 
There we um, go. There we go. I, I was hoping you would either have like the Oz thing going on with just the name tag that said God. <laughs> that was my second that was my second choice but i couldn't uh, short notice i couldn't find those little name tag stickers so i couldn't do it um <laughs> and then i was also hoping you would dress up as giles yeah uh that would that would have been good <laughs> yeah but i don't i don't have a tweed jacket <laughs> maybe i'm not going to spoil it or give it away but maybe in another episode of the nevers podcast you might get a chance I very much could, yes. <laughs> um, so The Nevers, when will, where and when will it air? Um, it will air on HBO and HBO Max. For international viewers, it will more than likely play on whatever network is currently airing HBO shows in your country. What is that for you, Ty? Who does your HBO? Uh, right now, I believe it's Now TV, which is a subscription service. And if, if, if you have Sky, I believe it's on Sky Atlantic. For people that don't have Sky, it's on Now TV, which I believe is Sky's UK streaming service. That's where I watch Game of Thrones. So I'm hoping it's going to be there. Because if it's not, I might not be able to watch. Mm. <laughs> that, that would be bad. I don't know how we would, would figure that out. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as we know, it will premiere uh, in 2021. Pardon my allergies. Like Denver is overcome with smoke right now and my eyes and nose are going crazy. Um, uh, we don't know what quarter it will air in. We were hoping for spring before the COVID shutdown came. And now we just, we don't know. Um, we had word uh, secondhand that Dennis O'Hare said uh, it was definitely going in 2021. So fingers crossed. Um, so with Joss in full creative control on a channel known for excellence, big budgets, free of censorship and uh, interference, as well as being chock full of talent behind the camera uh, and as well as in front of it, uh, we, this could be Joss's latest and maybe greatest masterpiece. How do you guys feel about that? Like Buffy is a tall order. We all know it's all of our favorites, right? Um, so what do you think? You think it, this has the ability to lap Buffy? Ooh. Okay. I, <laughs> so, and I feel like everyone feels this way in this panel and hopefully out there, whoever's watching. Um, so big budget doesn't mean it's better, right? However, we do have an amazing creative team in front and behind the camera. I think it will really depend on the writing for me. If the writing and it doesn't have to be similar to Buffy, but the writing with the world with in Victorian England with the characters, right? If the writing is just as like um, universal and relatable as Buffy, it could be Buffy just because it also has a bigger budget. Those are my thoughts. What do you think, Ty? I would have to agree. I mean, I, I do think one of the main reasons so many people love Buffy is just because it's the only time Joss was able to actually execute his full vision. We don't know if something like Dollhouse or Firefly could have lapped Buffy if it was actually given the chance. Sure, sure. So knowing that he's working with a network that will actually let him put his full vision across, I think it has the best chance it's ever had. And knowing that he, like, looking at the crew, the cast, uh, the little snippets we get from him, it looks like he's really putting everything he has into this. So, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of almost now or never. This is, this is his shot to just absolutely shoot the moon and take over the world. 
So now or crossed. never. <laughs> I um I fully think that Firefly had the ability just from what we saw of it to match Buffy. But I also think it's like a the same but different like sort of thing. Like it would be it wouldn't you wouldn't actually talk about one being better than the others because it's apples and oranges. But I thought Firefly was the only one that really came close in its short lifespan to to beating Buffy. Um, uh, the Nevers uh, supposedly is went straight to series. There wasn't even an approval of a pilot. He, it, we know it's going for at least five years. So will it fully realize his vision? And will we get you know? get the Joss we've been waiting for since Buffy, basically. I don't know. Hope he, you know, I hope, I hope it's as magical and as challenging as all of his other stuff is, whether flawed or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts before we start wrapping up? Actually, Tig, we've mentioned this in other podcasts. Yeah. If you viewers and listeners, uh, if you guys see the character breakdown, it seems like there's three different kinds of worlds that these characters might live in, right? Um, so that's going to be really interesting. Like, will it have a structure like Game of Thrones where it kind of goes in between the different worlds and then sometimes they overlap? I mean, I feel like TV shows always have that anyway, mm -hmm. like an A, B, and C story. Um, but I think it's going to be really fun to see that. And I don't know if you remember tight from the top of your head, like, I don't know, some of the characters and some of the worlds that might be. There's a very distinct kind of upstairs, downstairs feel. There's there's the, right. kind of the upper tier of Lord Masson and uh, Edmund Haig, who are very much kind of in the, the upper class of Britain. And then there's sort of the, the gangsters and hookers very much living in the underground. So right. I think, and then in the middle, we have the orphans who are sort of, not really part of either world. It's going to be very fun seeing how the orphans that are very much the middle part interact with the upper and lower tiers. So yeah, that, I think that is definitely one thing we we have to really look out for. I have I have threatened to do like one of those. We talked about this last episode. We did. Threatened to do one of those crazy from serial killer movies and stuff where they do that crazy <laughs> pin where everything's connected and you know who's connected to who. But um, I totally agree. Uh, Tyg and I talked about the upstairs downstairs thing that you know Lavinia's upper class, Lord Masson is landed gentry, right? Augie's upper class, and then you have the middle class, like um, probably the cop. Uh, the doc, you know, Horatio Cousins, possibly Haig is either either one. And then I think the orphans are probably considered lower class, along with mm -hmm. prostitutes and the gangs and stuff like that. It'll be interesting to see how it breaks out and how they all crosswalk to each other. Um, I'm, it's super fascinating. Yeah, and I feel like Olivia Williams' character, Lavinia Bidlow, she's, she's known as a wealthy spinster. Mm -hmm. um, so that's interesting too. And she funds the orphanage. So that's really cool that she's wealthy, yet she's working with um, these people that aren't. So that's, that's mm -hmm. cool. Yep. So we hope you're excited to visit some of Joss's enduring themes of redemption, um, equality, love, and death, as well as some of the new ones re reflecting our current turbulent times with this phenomenal cast, this crew, uh, this channel that seems to really give, give uh, creators their heads and let them do what they need to do to tell their story. Um, it's really hard not to be. We want to thank everyone for coming to uh, Halloween Con. We hope you enjoyed our panel. Uh, 
they're helping to raise money for the Los Angeles LGDP, LGBT Center, pardon me, as well as the Wooten Youth Center Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship Fund by attending Halloween Con. That's amazing. So thank you guys so much for attending our panel. We had a blast chatting about what's sure to be our new favorite show next year. We hope you enjoyed yourselves and hopefully you're leaving the panel a little bit more informed and more excited about Joss's new show than when you came in. We cannot wait for the Nevers. It's going to be so good. So hyped. And if you've enjoyed hearing us nerd out about the Nevers and would like to hear more of our slightly more in-depth discussions on the series, as well as many of Joss's other works, please subscribe to the Nevers podcast. We're on any major streaming platform you can find us anywhere and as well as the newly launched amazon music podcasts so the us there cool so you can visit us on hbothenevers.com where you can view set photos read articles interact with other fans and stay in the loop on all nevers news also please follow us on facebook twitter youtube and instagram at hbothenevers and the nevers podcast with no a Again, thank you guys so much for attending, and hopefully we will see you guys see soon. You. Yay! Bye! You rock. Bye. Thank Catch you. your rounds.